You're listening to the Justice Gap podcast. I'm Callum McRae. The Grenfell Tower fire in summer 2017 was perhaps one of the most devastating events to occur in modern Britain. 72 lives were lost and countless families torn apart by the fire directly. The first stage of the Grenfell Inquiry report said that victims paid a, quote, terrible price for a catastrophic failure of industry and government. Beyond the fire itself, Grenfell has caused a miserable ripple effect to those living in buildings that share similar cladding that we now know accelerated the fire on Grenfell. The Times reported that more than 3 million people are now caught up in what's becoming known as the cladding scandal, with some leaseholders receiving remediation bills higher than the initial cost of their flats. William Martin is one of those leaseholders affected. He's a junior doctor and co-founder of the UK Cladding Action Group. He joined me to speak about his situation the End Our Cladding Scandal campaign and the government's response. Take me back to you kind of buying this this property. What uh, just get, get get us in your head at, at the time. What's what's the what's the kind of situation and it's a big deal, right, buying this flat. Uh, ever since a, an early age I've always really wanted to own a place. Like it was kind of something that I just always really wanted to get sorted and I saved and saved and saved and I really, really scraped the barrel and every every penny went into the pot to, to, to try and build up a reserve of money to put down a deposit. And I found this flat in Sheffield City Centre and I was just like made up. As soon as I walked into it, I was like, this is absolutely what I want. This is great. It's in the city centre. It's really nice inside. And I, I remember then leaving after having done the first viewing and I walked straight back to uh, sales uh, officers and I was like yeah I, I really want to put down some money on this this is what I want I've done my research I've I viewed as many properties as I could possibly do and everything was great about it and I was so excited and I remember the summer of 2015 I was kind of moving up from London and waiting for the keys and the day that I got the keys I went around with my mom and I was just like yeah delighted that I'd got this place and the first year was fantastic and making it all my own and it was a big step and then, of course, on the morning of June the 14th, 2017, an, an awful event, the Grenfell Tower Fire, changed that dream into a nightmare for you. When did you realise that what you were seeing would play such a dramatic role in your life? I have to admit, I, I was watching the events unfold on TV and I obviously was so shocked and saddened by what I saw, but I didn't really make the connection that what I was witnessing on TV was about to affect my life and so many others so much. And, and I have to admit as well, even in the week after when, when the clad, a panel of cladding came off the building and was tested, I, I still didn't really see the gravity of what was going on. And I think I was in a bit of denial really for the first few months because I was just like, well, yeah, obviously we're not going to have to pay for that. Like, come on guys, that's, that's just not going to happen. Because that seemed, that would be your logical, that would be a logical reaction, I think, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really important for listeners to, to realise that this is very different to going outside of your house with a garden and seeing part of the roof has fallen off. Because 
yes, by definition, you would have to fix that roof because you are the you own the soil, you are the freeholder of that property, and you need to remedy your roof. But what it's really important for listeners to understand is that I own a piece of paper that gives me permission to reside in this property for X number of years. I don't own the cladding. I don't own the carpets in the hallway. I don't own the lift shaft. I have to get permission to put my washing out on the balcony. I have to get permission to have a doormat. I'm a leaseholder. And I think that's where the stumbling block has occurred quite often with the general public, not necessarily understanding why it is that we shouldn't have to pay for this. We before before we get into that, William, can you tell me what it is? What what's actually what's I know I know this may be obvious by now, but what's the actual issue with this cladding and and the other errors in your building? So ACM cladding is the same type of cladding as Grenfell, and that's what's on our building. And an ACM cladding, uh, I'm no expert, but essentially it's a sandwich, and in the side inside the aluminium part of the sandwich is a really really flammable material almost like a foam material it essentially creates a a, a vent where when it catches on fire it it becomes like a liquid and allows that fire to then spread very rapidly up the side of a building and while while we're talking about that obviously this is a, a large part of this movement and and debate is around money but there's a there's a lasting impact which is that your flat is flammable and a lot of these buildings are, are dangerous to live in I, I want to know about that as well not just the money what does that have an impact on that kind of feeling that perhaps your built the building you're living in isn't isn't safe yeah um I mean so that week after Grenfell it didn't really sink in and it didn't really sink in for the first six months and then it was only start when I started to really put two and two together and the Grenfell inquiry started to go on and the implications of just how dangerous this material was because obviously back then when Grenfell happened we, we although we saw the images of it going up the side of the building we, we couldn't say for sure that that definitely accelerated the fire but now we, we can and I think that was the moment then I started to really feel unsafe in the flat and when I'd go to sleep at night you know besides the finance stuff you are just thinking all right, okay, if a fire were to happen here, how would I get out? Where, where would I go? What, what route would I take? And that keeps you awake. And, and the strain of that is part and parcel of why I ended up saying last year, I actually, for my own mental health and my own sanity, I have to leave this place, which is why I no longer live in the property. And I, 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 so, so you actually felt you couldn't live there anymore? Yeah, I, I really did. I think I... When I drive to Sheffield, it's on the skyline. And I used to come back from the hospital at work as a student. And my heart would actually sink at seeing what used to be my home because it's not my home. It was just just became this place where I was just really miserable because my life just became consumed by it. And I think that, that part and parcel of that is as a result of being so active on the campaign. I, I, I really did become like, throw every single spare minute of my time into doing planning. And so my neighbours perhaps were less involved by this and, and it consumed the less, but every day became about which MP am I emailing? Which organisation are we emailing today? What phone call have I got today with someone? And by the end of summer last year, I just knew that I needed to get out of that building. 
I mean, I saw on the BBC you talked about your life has kind of been a, it's all on hold. I, I mean, what what do you mean by that? What 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 was on hold? What what did it stop you doing, and how? So the plan had always been to 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 buy the flat in Sheffield to live in it and then sell it at, at the end of my time at medical school. So life on hold relates to not being able to sell, but life on hold also relates to this feeling of so even in 2019 I didn't want to sell it there and then but I had this feeling of being shackled by this building because if you if you've got a bill of potential bill of 50,000 pounds hanging over your head you can't justify going and having a takeout you can't justify going on any kind of holiday or 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 that new t-shirt that you want or the, the nice stuff in the supermarket because and that that's some people might listen to that and say well that's not how I deal with money but I, I've always been like that with with money unfortunately I've always been a bit careful with my money and and when I know I've had that kind of hanging over me then all of the things that I'd want to be doing with my life were kind of on hold and uh, including at one point my my medical training because it was kind of like well where am I going to go and practice because I've got to practice somewhere nearby because I either stay in the flat and that limits me because I can't move because I can't sell the flat or I I accept that I I have to become this landlord that I didn't want to become of this property and I need to be relatively close to be able to get back to sort out any problems that, that may occur. And certainly right now, even though I'm out of the property, my life still does feel like it's on hold because I can't buy another property. I can't do anything. That that's what it feels like to to have a life on hold. And, and you know, there are other people out there that it means different things to certainly a lot of people that contact us. One of the main things that they tell us is that, you know, the bill's bad enough, but I want to start a family and I'm in a one-bedroom flat. And I can't start a family in a one-bedroom flat. And I've been waiting for four years to sell this flat or even just to be able to rent it. And I still can't do that. And we've got people who've contacted us and said, I'm in a relationship that has now ended and we are both named on the mortgage and we can't leave each other, but we have now divorced and we are in this house together and we don't know what to do. There was something the the Grenfell Inquiry found. Uh, they, they found that they, they, there was a quote that said that the residents are in no way to blame and it's our, it's our view that they should bear none of the cost of remediation. Well, in in your view, who is to who is to blame? I suppose, and and what where does where should the money come from? So, I I agree with that. I definitely think that we sh- that leaseholders shouldn't have to pay. It's my belief that for years and years, we're not just talking before just before Grenfell. We're talking decades of poor building regulation, and of lax, you know, turning a blind eye at, at, at things that have been built incorrectly, and so I. I hold the finger, I point the finger at the developers, the people who have failed to remediate their buildings, failed to build their buildings correctly in the first place, and failed to address the issues that have then been subsequently identified in the buildings, but are quite happy to go on and continue building all of these big buildings that are popping up in all of these major cities. And I also do hold the government to account as well, because it's the government guidelines that haven't been followed. You know, this isn't one builder 
who has decided to go against the regulation and built shoddy buildings. This is on a, on a huge scale, huge, huge scale, huge number of buildings that are affected in every city across the UK. So for my money, whilst I, I do hold the builders accountable, I do think there has to be some degree of acceptance that this is as a result of poor regulation and poor oversight from you know, the regulators and the government for decades. And that's from all parties. So what I want to see is the developers being truly held to account. Because at the minute, the government have announced a £200 million levy annually for the next 10 years, which would generate £2 billion. And that is what that £2 billion is part and parcel of the £5.1 billion package that has been announced so far. That's really key to, to make clear is that the government say that they've announced £5.1 billion worth of funding. They haven't. They've announced £5.1 billion worth of funding minus the £2 billion which is included in that, which is actually coming from developers. So a lot of people get frustrated and think it's all coming from taxpayer money. It's not. And we have never asked for taxpayer money to fix this problem. But just going back to the developers, £200 million a year does not represent the profit, 20% of the profit of one of the major developers in the UK. It's a drop in the ocean when you look at how much these developers are making. They themselves have come out and said, this won't even touch us. This won't harm us in any way, shape or form. So I really look to the government to properly hold the developers to account because the scale of the problem is estimated at £15 billion at least that's needed. And so the lion's share of the cost still falls on the innocent party. You know, the, the leaseholder who did not build this building who paid for all of the surveys to be done when they moved into the property and yet somehow is faced with this huge bill. I mean, I, I always say this when I speak to people about this, that when my building was built, I was doing my GCSEs. I sat in an exam hall like I didn't know anything about cladding. I'm not responsible for, for the materials that were, were or weren't put on the side of that building. And, and I, I certainly shouldn't be held to account for it. And, and that, that must give you a feeling of powerlessness I suppose uh, there's something there's something I mean there's it's an observation I made it's like Grenfell itself and then the kind of butterfly effects of Grenfell just really do shine a light on the power balance between these big developers government and and the people who live in these yeah. buildings no it, that, that's exactly it and it's that sense of powerlessness that is amplified by things like the waking watch I came back after a night shift last year to find a letter to tell us, guys, you've got a £7,000 a week waking watch starting. So just to clarify for people what a waking watch is, a waking watch is often required in one of these buildings. It's a 24-hour patrol service, which allows the building to remain open until the building is remediated. And I came home and found that we were having a £7,000 a week waking watch put in the building because of problems that had been discovered in the building structure. And we had no say, we had no chance as leaseholders to say, oh, well, have you looked at this company? Is this cheaper? Could we do this? You know, no say in the matter, 7,000 pounds slapped on our bills. And we were just like, how do we navigate this? And, and that, that amplifies that sense of powerlessness. And as does the insurance, because we, we don't have any say who insures our building. It's done by our freeholder. And our insurance just skyrocketed by 60%, which 
actually in comparison to the majority of people is pretty low but you know those are the things that you just feel like gosh I, I don't have any power in this this nightmare I want to get off this train that's you know and you don't of course really have much communication with the government in terms of where you're at with your application I know that there's many buildings out there that have applied months and months ago and heard nothing back and are just sitting in limbo land and what I truly believe this this knee-jerk reaction that has happened and this butterfly effect that has happened since Grenfell whereby we aren't looking at buildings with a risk-based approach in mind and, and instead what we're doing is gosh all these buildings just need remediating oh I don't care if 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 this balcony is actually 10 meters away from another balcony and couldn't actually spread a fire to it, but we need to remediate it. We need to remediate this, 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 and this. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will benefit from that. The cladding industry is booming because they're in demand. Management companies take a cut from the management of this work as well. And so it's the leaseholders at the bottom of the pile that seem to get shafted and, and dealt, dealt the bad card every time let's come on to the the campaign i suppose then so what how 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 was that set up the uk cladding action group so i um i thought i can't be the only one in this situation this is a nightmare and i i googled and i found this image of this woman called ritu on the head of this local newspaper and i was like i need to speak to that woman she then put me in touch with another person down and down south who, who also was equally as angry and then the three of us just had a meeting it was really short and we said we need to unite all of the leaseholders that are affected by this problem in some way shape or form and then we just picked a name really quickly and we set up a, a an email and then the guardian very kindly launched us and then we just had this barrage of emails from people being like, I'm in this situation too, and I'm in this situation, and I, I can't do anything about this, and I can't move. And and then three years on, we we just have got this huge network of people and, and a large number of buildings that we're in contact with across the whole of the UK. And we've now got to a point where the campaign regularly attends large meetings with you know the insurers with with Robert Jenrick with Lord Greenhalge and with the housing associations and all, all of those and, and are a key part in the campaign because we we firmly believe that the, the the people who are at the center of this problem should have a voice and that's the leaseholders and now I'm sure partly as a result of uh, that campaigning we've seen the government introduce the building safety bill can you give me a bit of a background to that bill and whether just your reaction to it, whether you're encouraged by the moves government are making? About six months ago, we had the fire safety bill, which changed the rules and regulations around external structures in buildings. And we pushed very hard with amendments with Stephen McPartland and Royce and Smith to change the fire safety bill back then to make sure that leaseholders were not charged for historic fire safety defect costs. In the end, we weren't successful. Uh, and the promise was that the upcoming building safety bill, which was announced this week, would protect leaseholders and be the most appropriate place to put legislation in place to avoid historic costs being passed on to us. This week, that was announced. And the only protection that I can see that comes from that is that it will become law that building owners have to prove to whoever that they have done their utmost to try and avoid costs being passed on to leaseholders. 
Now, for me, that it isn't worth the paper it's written on because that's essentially what they're doing now. The, the owners are saying, well, look, we, we've gone after the insurers. We, we can't do that because it's expired. The developer's no longer here. Uh, we'll, we'll write it down on a piece of paper because now it's a legal requirement that you approve it. But uh, sorry, guys, you're going to have to pay. It doesn't really offer us any protection. And it's disappointing that all those MPs you know, said, we'll wait for the building safety bill because the building safety bill is the most appropriate place to protect leaseholders. And evidently it's not. I, there are other things in the building safety bill, some of which are positive. I do think it's good that a regulator would be in place to protect the building of dangerous buildings in the future. But, you know, we are here now. We are the, we are the people living in this situation. And stuff like that is just not really in the spirit of protecting leaseholders. And of course, one of the things that we haven't actually touched on, which is really important, is the loan scheme for buildings under 18 metres, because there's this arbitrary distinction, which makes no sense. Buildings over 18 metres get their cladding fixed and paid for. Buildings under 18 metres don't get their cladding fixed and paid for. They have to have a loan scheme that will be £50 a month. But of course, the government has no data on how many buildings under 18 metres are actually affected. So they have no idea how to implement this loan scheme. And, and what they fail to factor in is the fact that, yes, you can say that £50 a month is affordable. I mean, that's up for debate itself. But if you say that £50 a month is affordable, then you are making an assumption that the leaseholder in the building below 18 metres doesn't face any other fire safety defect remediation costs at the same time because the £50 a month is just for the removal of the cladding. So if you have a waking watch, you have an insurance increase and you happen to have a whole range of other things that are not covered by the cladding fund or the cladding loan, you may well be paying £50 a month, but you may also then be expected to pay £4,000 a year on top for all those other problems. And there's no mention of the loan scheme in the building safety bill, which is concerning because leaseholders have been sort of sat waiting for this promise and information about how the loan scheme is going to work. And ultimately, I, I don't think it is a workable solution because how do you go back and change people's leases across the country and rewrite them and say that you can take this charge out of their service charges for cladding removal it's just not a workable solution and it also fundamentally goes against everything that they've ever said which is that leaseholders shouldn't have to pay which is why it really really frustrates me and all of the other campaigners when Robert Jenrick goes onto TV and says you know we're paying for cladding because you aren't you're paying for the removal of cladding in buildings above 18 meters you're not paying for that removal below 18 meters and even still the sorry to keep going on about the loan scheme but it's really 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 problematic is if you think about a building particularly in the north of the UK whereby you know it's it's probably only worth my flat I bought for 130,000 pounds but there are flats in mind that are 80,000 pounds if you're expecting someone to pay 50 pounds a month and the works cost say 50 grand you end up in a situation where you're just in negative equity given the size of the loan and the, this belief that the government keep trotting out and saying that it will restore value to the building by removing the cladding. Well, yes, it will restore value to the, the building, but not if the building itself and the flat comes with a huge loan that you're going to have to pay. Who's going? Would you want to buy that? It's it's ludicrous, and that that then touches on that wider impact that the cladding scandal has had on the property market as a whole. 
because it affects everyone. I meet loads of people who aren't, we've got family friends of ours who aren't affected and who sort of say, I'm not really interested by it. But I say, well, well, wait till you're in a chain then where the person lower down the chain is affected by it. It affects everyone. And ultimately what it's going to lead to if the problem isn't addressed is these cities that are just full of these buildings which cannot be sold. You've been listening to the Justice Gap podcast. This episode was produced by me, Callum McRae, and the music was created by Oscar Ralph. Please do us a favour by sharing us among your colleagues and friends and rating us if your podcast platform allows it.